Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in his love. We're grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. good morning. It's so good to see everybody here today. Um, we are in our last, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. We are in our last Sunday of July. Um, so next Sunday is August. I believe it's August 1st. Am I right? Can somebody confirm or deny? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's. This is our last Sunday of July. Um, it's the summer and, and I hope, I know it's a bit rainy today, but I hope everybody's having a wonderful morning uh, to the best of your ability. We are continuing through our sermon series in Daniel. Um, so I'm just gonna jump right into that. Can we open up our Bibles to Daniel chapter five? If you guys don't, especially for some of our younger congregation members, if you guys don't have a physical Bible, if you don't own a physical Bible, please let Jane Doe know. Jane Doe will buy you a physical Bible. So, Daniel. I believe Daniel is after the let me just after the book of Ezekiel. Yes, before the book of Hosea. Daniel. We are reading Daniel chapter five. Um. With Daniel chapter 5, I know last week I only read three verses, but with Daniel chapter 5, I'm actually just going to read all 30. So if you guys can just lock in with me and listen to it as though it is a story, okay? I'm reading from the ESV. I highly recommend more than the ESV. I think the NIV or the NRSV are more, um, they are more consistent translations. So Daniel chapter 5. This is God's holy and perfect word. Can we all rise for the reading of God's holy and perfect word? Okay, this is the word of the Lord. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs, limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. 
Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of his, the king and his lord, came into the banqueting hall, and the, the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your reward to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when, when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from him. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whom your hand, whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence, the hand was set, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belteshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed in purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, 
and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede, or the Mede, received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please remain standing as we pray. Abba, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. This is a hard word. That I am not worthy of preaching objectively, apart from the mercy and forgiveness that your son has allowed me to live in. We are all short. We all fall short of the glory of God. Abba, we just pray right now that you would open our hearts to hear your wisdom, to hear your presence, to acknowledge your glory, and to submit to what you are telling us. This worship service is yours. Open up every single heart to you. Right now, may we all become aware of this spirit in this room, which fills every nook, every cranny of this place. Take us to the next level with you, Holy Spirit. We breathe you in. You are with us. Open our eyes and ears and our minds and our hearts to what you need us to hear. We are proud. Our necks are stiff. Our hearts are easily hardened and prone to wander. But Jesus, you are greater. You have died for every moment. And so God, may we hear your call. Hide your servant behind your cross. That only you are magnified and only you are glorified. I am your mouthpiece and nothing more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Daniel 5, Belshazzar's heart and God's judgment. This is like a really interesting, I have to say, this is a really interesting book to preach on, like as soon as church opens up for the first time in a year and a half. But we're just gonna go through it, right? So last week we talked about Nebuchadnezzar and how he went insane, um, how his pride had taken him too far and he went insane, and that was... The only way, I believe, quote, it takes a man to become, or a ruler of the world to become a beast, so that the man who thinks that he's like a god will realize that he's just human, right? Um, and so we, we heard about this, we heard about the men in the fire who said, even if God does not save us, still we will not answer to your God or bow to you. We've heard about Daniel who chose to eat the vegetables, and yet God filled him with strength. And now we're at Daniel chapter 5. If you notice, the king has changed. It's not Nebuchadnezzar anymore. There's a very blatant, like, like time jump. Um, Belshazzar is stated here to be Nebuchadnezzar's son 
actually, he's not Nebuchadnezzar's son. Um, he's, I'm guessing, spiritually, maybe like royally, his son, but his actual son is Nabonidus. Uh, his actual father is Nabonidus. So Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar have some space in between them. Clearly not enough space because it's within Daniel's lifetime. However, Daniel is older here. He's an older, wiser man. And Belshazzar is the, the um, not like direct uh, successor of the throne. Now we are stumbling upon a very interesting situation with Belshazzar. Belshazzar is in, just context-wise, Belshazzar is the king of the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian Empire is literally a day away from falling to Persia. And media. Okay? So this is literally the night before Babylon is no more. And they're at war, and King Belshazzar hosts a feast with a thousand of his lords. If you guys remember, you might not, it's okay if it was over quarantine and you might not have been there, but we went over the book of Esther. Belshazzar's boisterousness, his lavishness, is very similar to King Xerxes. Right now, Belshazzar is doing a power play for a war tribune and hosting a feast to display his strength, call upon the gods, because the Chaldeans believe that if you got drunk, you were more spiritual and closer to heaven. So they're drinking a lot, and they are um, talking about the next step to take, and this is the night before they fall. Now I'm going to read another translation. I think this is the, um, well, this is a mixture of uh, commentaries and my personal translation, so I'm going to read this. This is verse 2 to 4. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. They brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. This is the action of Belshazzar, Belshazzar that we see here. Um, and this is a lot of the impetus. Like, So we're going to just explain this for a little bit. What is the significance of this, right? Put another way, Belshazzar was drinking, and he says, hey, my father, Nebuchadnezzar, plundered Israel a while ago. There are holy gold and silver spiritual goblets from that temple. Bring it over here so I can drink my wine from them. And so he brings them. So that he and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines, so his wives and his side chicks, but they're like legitimate because there was room for polyamorism as much as there was room for polytheism in that culture, in that context. So all of these people are officially identified people of the court. 
Um, and so everybody is drinking. Everybody and their plus ones and their plus, well, actually it's not plus ones, it's probably like plus fives or plus tens. Or Everybody is drinking from the holy goblets that come from where? The temple. If you guys know anything about Judaism, in the Old Testament, there was no direct relationship between man and God. The goblets that were used in the tabernacle and in the temple of God were not even to be touched by somebody who did not go through the, the um, ritual of atonement. Where animals, blood are shed on your behalf and your sins are taken. When priests would even touch these holy things and engage in certain rituals and be near the Ark of the Covenant, without having done this, they would drop dead. That is how sacred these goblets are. They're made of gold and silver. It says in Leviticus that they are made with people who were created by God with remarkable craftsmanship to do it. That's a side thing. If y'all are a creative or if y'all are an artist or y'all have a skill, a technical skill that you can do with your hands, God has intentionally placed that in you, not just to make money, but also for the furthering of his kingdom and his glory in you. That is God's image in you because a creative God created a creative person. Um, but that's besides the point. So these very ornate, very hard to make, handmade, hand-forged gold and silver goblets that are ornate with a lot of different things. They're brought in into this feast and used as objects to drink out of. These things that are used specifically and set aside specifically for worship are relegated to wine. Now, some of you guys might be thinking, it's like, you know, it's like taking, like, you know the goblet that Moksanim uses every once a month to do communion? It's like me going, <laughs> pour me some cap, like, during the weekday. I don't know if y'all know anything about the UMC, but, like, there was this one time I almost sat on that, you know that, like, thing in the front? I forgot what it's called. And nobody here knows what it's called, even though y'all grew up in the UFC and I did, and I grew up Presbyterian. Anyways, so there's this like table in the front, right, with like a thing, a sign on it, and the, I think it's called an altar. I'm not sure what it's called, but it's a table specifically for sacraments, aka communion, baptism, confirmation, right? And you're actually not like not supposed to sit on it. Like um, the UFCs are very like physically sensory high liturgy kind of like congregation where all of those things are like really really set apart catholicism is even more in that category you dare not they that's why they have holy water we don't have holy water per se we have water that has been anointed but they have like holy water to sprinkle right and 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 all these different practices so it's like very very set apart you specifically for those things i almost sat on it once and most was like most time like lost color in his face and I, I like jumped off, I like, I didn't actually get my butt, didn't actually touch it. But I remember it was like my first month or my second month here, I was like, oh, like Moksan was talking to me. And like, I, you know, like there's a surface behind my, my booty, okay? And Moksan was talking to me like this and we're chilling. So I like almost, you know what 
screen, I almost, but then Muksem's like tone, like his color like changed. And so I like got up and my butt never actually touched the thing, but I felt, I was like, I'm so sorry. I was like, it was so bad. You know, it's like when you open somebody else's refrigerator, it's like one of those things, right? Um, I was like, yo, uh, I remember how much I was tripping that day. Um, and it's like that in our church. But in the tabernacle, it's like even there are like legitimate consequences to your actions, right? And these are the goblets that he had used. Now, he's a king. One thing you got to know about the king, who is not just the king of nations, but has plundered nations to make an empire, is that you don't run out of freaking cups, all right? Out of everything that you could possibly run out of. Even if you're feeding 10,000 people and their moms and their grandmas and their grandfathers and their wives and their children and their children's children, like you will not run out of something as simple as a cup. In our house, we are quite clumsy. We buy a lot of glasses and we break them. And it's like this endless cycle of trying to replenish, but they keep breaking. And so we've, like, we've bought like <laughs> we have like we bought like 16 wine glasses we have five left um <laughs> that's just the reality of what we have right but there they don't run out you can break half of it and i'm sure you will still feed two babylons right it's the freaking king okay why does he choose to take the goblets from another temple specifically for this occasion. It's written, we know in the historical context actually that Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar is the one that plundered Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar is the one that took over Israel. Nebuchadnezzar himself never used those goblets. Why does Nebuchadnezzar's successor, successor, successor choose to go from the archives? Like the back, 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 back storage to take out specifically gold and silver goblets from Israel. He surely had propaganda purpose in mind. This was surely a power move. It was not by chance. Some scholars say that he may have been making claims of power by comparing himself to Nebuchadnezzar. I think Nebuchadnezzar is known to be a very powerful king. So he trifles with Nebuchadnezzar's war booty, or I don't know, how to call it other than booty. Um, what he won, his lot. It's called, anyways. Um, so his war, like his, he trifles with the booty that Nebuchadnezzar won from victory, right? Um, that he, Nebuchadnezzar himself, apparently thought too precious actually to use. There is an implication that Belshazzar, in the midst of this war with Persia, is saying that he himself is comparable, or perhaps he is claiming more power than Nebuchadnezzar. A boast that is vain enough in and of itself, because if you remember anything about Nebuchadnezzar, this man was vain. Incredibly vain, incredibly materialistic. Or, Perhaps, because Nebuchadnezzar went mad. Remember that? Nebuchadnezzar looked up on his rooftop 
last week, a flashback to last week, he went up on his rooftop and he looked at all of Babylon and he said, look at what I've done. And the Lord goes, what the heck are you talking about? Right? And he goes through seven years of being like a beast in order for him to be humble to know that God sets upon the world whom he wills. So Nebuchadnezzar, and that's written in Nebuchadnezzar, that's written in first person. So perhaps it is a charge directly at Yahweh himself because Nebuchadnezzar is written to have honored God and there are prophets at the same time as Belshazzar right now that are speaking of the possible fall of Babylon, right? Daniel is not the only prophet during this time. What's really interesting about the usage of these cups, these cups that you are not supposed to use for anything other than worshiping God, is that, like, let's say Belshazzar was just saying, oh, this cup that's for God, I'm going to use it for myself. Like, yes, that is bad in and of itself. But he actually uses those cups to honor his God. And what is his God? His God is the God of gold, the God of silver, the God of iron, the God of bronze. His God is the God of money. So he uses, let, 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 let's think about that. He uses a cup that is specifically built for worship. He takes it, he says, I, this cup is used to carry something that is offered to God, but I offer it to myself and to my guests, and we will use that to honor money. It's a lot. We see here a ruler that ignores the past, and only wields the past to make a point about himself. Profanes the holy things and religion just to bring honor to an idol. You might be like, whoa, I'm not like that. It might even seem so elsewhere that y'all might not even be paying attention. Like, oh, this doesn't apply to me. When was the last time you 100% took your parents' advice? Like, when was the last time you 100% honored the words of somebody older than you? We all have the tendency within us to say, oh, like, you didn't live through the iPhone generation. You didn't live through TikTok and Instagram. Like you didn't have to do the job market that is right now. You don't know how to do you you don't know how to invest money. You don't know how to do the Dow Jones. I know better, all right? And a lot of the times, maybe because of language barriers, maybe because we simply do think that we know better. It's like you don't know a thing. That's how we'll talk to people older than us. Sometimes that's our parents, sometimes that's our older siblings, sometimes that's certain people in our congregation sometimes it's people in our schools our advisors our superiors a lot of the times of course everybody carries their own wisdom but we will be prone to listen to the words of ourselves greater than the words of the people around us as much as Belshazzar is displaying 
a loud, extreme example of this, we all have the tendency to not listen, to ignore the past. Sometimes, memory is an interesting thing. That is what I've been learning about these days. Memory is a very interesting thing. I remember from my childhood the ways that my mother might have hurt me. Or my dad, my stepdad, might have hurt me, who is now my father, my one and only. But when I think back on my past, like my mother and my father, they might be remembering every day toiling in the middle of New York City, dying, bending over backwards, protecting me from dangers left and right. But all I will remember was the times that my mom and my dad yelled at me. Or maybe, like, last month, my mother and I were talking about um, a time that we had fought. We fought, we actually, the most recent time that we fought, fought was like this past New Year's Eve. Um, and my mother and I, we were talking about uh, the way that we fought. And I remember I was saying, like, I was crying. I was like, I was crying that you would raise your voice at me. Like, you're the person that I love. You're the person that I trust the most. Like, why would you raise your voice at me in front of all these people that I don't really know as well as I know you? And my mother was like, Jane, I don't remember that at all. What I remember is that I was trying to talk to you, but you raised your voice at me and you started yelling at me in front of your friends. And I was like, huh? Really? And she was like, she was like, yeah. And I was like, you know, but it's because I love you. She was like, but yeah, but still, like, how else was I supposed to react? And I and I remember, like, memory is an interesting thing. You're confronted with the fact that, like, we in our perspective, we perceive things and we remember things one way, right? But sometimes reality goes beyond our perspective to hold the, the perspective of two sides. And everyone's collective experience is what makes up an event. To put it into perspective another way, a lot of the things that are discussed and a lot of the things that are in contention with one another is like what is taught in US history, right? Just because one person remembers that they tried their best to build a country doesn't mean that that is the only perspective that can possibly exist. Like yes, everyone's perspective is valid, right? But it's the collective perspective of the indigenous peoples, the African-Americans who are made to be less than human, the indentured servants, the women that were not given any other right than coverture, and the, and the white men, and all the different social people, like all the different people amongst all the social strata. It's not just the founding father's perspective that makes up the time of the revolution, right? And yet, when we only hear one side, what happens? That becomes your reality, right? Now, this is a long-winded explanation to show that for Belshazzar, 
for Nebuchadnezzar, all he wanted to listen to was himself. Nebuchadnezzar's words clearly are written to say, God is greater than me. But all he chooses to remember is Nebuchadnezzar's power and what Nebuchadnezzar was honored for. And he chooses to wield that as a tool to say, I am valid and my perspective is right. He chooses to ignore Nebuchadnezzar's experience and his words and instead only focuses on the part of what is necessary for him and his perspective to prevail. A man who twists past for his particular present experience. Now there's something to be said about this. We can talk about propaganda, but even I was like really praying and wrestling through what is the heart of Belshazzar when he does this. And it's just a willingness to manipulate everything for what he can understand. Whether or not he realizes that or not, all he sees in sight is something that he needs. He, by any means possible, needs to protect his empire from Persia. So he's blinded by his desire to protect what he has and chooses to wield and weaponize another person's history for his gain and feels 100% validated in that. When we hear this, we're like, oh yeah, that's bad. But are we so different when we choose to only remember our own perception of the world and wield our own experience above other people and weaponize that for our gain? When I tell my mother, you hurt me, and completely silence the reality that my childhood is not dictated by just my memory. But that time period when I was younger is written by my experience, my parents' experience, my older sister's experiences. The collective experience and the collective trauma of a family is what makes up my 2000s. And yet, in a moment of pain, not just a moment of pride, not just a moment of you know, sin, but in a moment of weakness, in a moment of vulnerability, in a moment of defense, I have used my own experience to define my past. And I have wielded my perception of my childhood to leverage that against my mother and say to her, you hurt me. Yes, your hurt is valid. Yes, your experiences are valid. However, so is hers. We can talk about this in the context, like I said, US history. Is that like, put another way, is that not what Southern states are doing right now? So then does that not mean if we have at any point 
allowed our own experience to silence. If we have ever used only our experience or what we desire in the long run to gain something, to protect something for our own needs and our own wants, are we no are we not no different from the southern states that are silencing the experience of history to write out their own history? What is the difference between southern, for all of you people in the crowd that are woke, what is the difference between your unwillingness to hear that perspective and their unwillingness to hear that one? So you got a problem with them, But what about you? What about me? I as well. I literally did not know that I did that until March. Um, and Belshazzar weaponizes his past, his nation's past, to do specifically whatever the heck he wanted to, completely silences the testimony of another person and just uses a dead person's items to leverage power from the past. Appropriation. Misuse. All in the name of what? Idolatry not just of another idol, but the idol of himself. A ruler that ignores the past, ignores another person to wield an experience to make a point for his own gain. Profanes God's holy things and religion just to bring honor to an idol. When we misuse scripture, unfortunately, America has gone too much one way. I'm not making any statements about politics, but I will say when scripture is used to justify politics, it is being misused. Scripture was never made for the time of government. Scripture was made for the time of worship. If you have ever wielded your own interpretation of scripture to say another person's identity is invalid, you are misusing scripture for your own worldview. And this, this exact thing is in the same line of what I was talking about with another person's experiences, right? If I misuse my own experience to say that I am right. If I am so blinded by my own self that I do not give way for others' voices, then even when you're in a collective experience with everybody, you are just on your own, an island. We misuse gifts like memory, love, relationship, scripture. When we get caught up in what we want without any 
room for what God says. When we don't make room for other people, that tunnel vision applies to us spiritually, emotionally, relationally, professionally, academically. It applies in every aspect of our lives. And we all need to give pause as to how much we have done that. If there are any ways that we have done that. Even from the perspective of a parent. I'm working this out of my own family, but sometimes my, my, my mother has a hard time validating the fact that she might have hurt me because she worked so hard for me that I'll, I'll say, Mom, this hurt. And she'll say, I did my best. And that's her cry for help. That's her cry for help to say, hey, I did everything I could. But sometimes in her fear, she gets lost in her own collective experience. That she forgets that my experiences of hurt are valid. Just because she experienced it one way doesn't mean that my experiences don't exist. Just because one person talks about power one way doesn't mean that Nebuchadnezzar's testimony goes away. And everything is valid, but Belshazzar is in this tunnel. He is in this tunnel in the context of idolatry. He is in this tunnel in the context of power. He is in this tunnel. Why is Jane Doe talking about something that's so far off? He is in this tunnel in the context of family. He's completely ignoring the experience of his father for his own gain. That's why this is both familial, power-based, and also idolatry-based. And we see here a heart. And you know what? This is what scares me. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep talking um, about. So after after he does all this, a human hand materializes. Every time I think about a human hand materializing, I think of Harry Potter. Have you seen like, you know, when just there's a hand floating? I've seen the first time I ever saw it was Scooby Doo. And I was like, what the heck is going on here? And like, you just see one hand that is just, there's a human, I can't even explain. It's so ridiculous to me that I don't even know how to visualize it for you more than what is already written. A human hand materializes and writes on a damn wall. Inscribes it on a damn wall. Man loses color, his knees start knocking. He gives a reward to every single wise man in that whole empire. He says, if you can read this, I will give you power. I will clothe you with purple. Purple is the color of royalty. You will be the third ruler. Nobody can do it. The queen comes and she's like, yo, chill. There's this guy named Daniel who's got power. He's like, all right, bring in Daniel. Daniel comes and he goes, yo, can you do this? I will give you, so he, no, 
and he's kind of rude to him too. He's like, hey, so you're the exile. Mans is like, oh, Mans was alive during Nebuchadnezzar, all right? And he's like, yo, so you were the guy that helped Neb. I don't know what the heck is going on here. Can you help me? And Daniel's like, yo, I don't need your money. And I don't need your power. But here we go. He says, you have exalted yourself. Verse 23. The word exalted is the same word as arise. To arise. To make high. You have exalted yourself. Goes on to talk about everything. And then at the end he says, you have not honored God. The really interesting word about this honor. When you think about the word honor, what do you, like we always, you know, I always say, you know, I love you, I respect you, and I honor you. And when we think about the word honor, we think about acknowledging a person, acknowledging what this person has experienced, acknowledging what this person has done, right? The word honor here is actually like the same word as splendor, majesty, adornment. It's the highest manifestation of power for God. And so when he says you have not honored God, the literal definition of it is that you have not acknowledged that God's splendor is greater than what we have and what we are. See, Belshazzar, he was so tunneled into what his desires were and where his pride was that he chose to ignore the testimony of his father. That's why this is both familial and power-based and idolatry-based, right? He chose to ignore his father's experience and then chose to take something of his father's and twisted it for his own gain, right? But we see here that Belshazzar's unwillingness to actually hear out another person's perspective, to actually take into consideration the fact that reality is not just your own experience, but that it is a collective experience of human beings failed to acknowledge the fact that Nebuchadnezzar's words, and even though Belshazzar has not experienced God like that, might be true, and chose to prioritize his own perspective, his own feelings, his own power, his own experience as ruler over everyone else. In the midst of all of that, Belshazzar missed one thing. It's that Nebuchadnezzar knew God. So what we see here is foolishness. If only he had listened to Neb. If only he had cared to hear out other people. Maybe he would not have missed God. And in the midst of missing God, he did a big boo-boo. A boo-boo that cannot be retracted. Why 
the sermon title is Belshazzar's Heart and God's Judgment. Is here's the scary thing about this, okay? I believe that this passage is saying something. That when you tunnel into your wants and your needs, when you tunnel into only your perspective without considering another person's perspective, that's like on a very micro level, but on a larger level, when you tunnel into your present without acknowledging your past on a spiritual level, when you tunnel into your present season without being in a state of remembrance of what you have seen of God, when you tunnel into and just only focus on your physical whatever priorities you might have, those priorities, although they might be noble, the, sh the narrow-mindedness, the short-sightedness is Belshazzar's greatest downfall. And it seems here that scripture defines hardness this way. You would think that a heart that is hardened is a heart that rejects God. No. It's a heart that is so damn focused on themselves that they cannot see another. In that place, you are your own God. You are your own success. You are your own idol. It is whatever you want to prioritize, that is your God. You fail to see reality. Belshazzar missed reality in the midst of being focused on himself. There's no saying of the depth of Belshazzar's character. We don't know whether or not Belshazzar was a bad man or a good man. I don't want to actually make that assumption. I don't want to say that Belshazzar had no good qualities to himself because I'm sure he was fine. I don't necessarily see myself or anybody in this room to be greater than him. All we know is this particular flaw. It just so happened that his tunnel vision was how he was hardened and missed the mark. Daniel gets called over, unlike with the time of Nebuchadnezzar, shows little concern or remorse, even though both kings were doing the same things. Rough talks back to Belshazzar when he rough talks. And the guy still gives him the gifts that Daniel said he's not going to take. God doesn't clearly. This guy clearly does not know how to hear another person. Daniel says, I don't want that. That is Daniel's experience. But this guy's so caught up in his own anxiety. He's so caught up in his own worry. He's so caught up in his own fear. He's so caught up in his own hurt. His own fear of losing the things that he cares about. That he completely misses the words of another person. And he gets, he dies that day. Here we see that the impetus of even this idea of sin is not your outward behavior, but it is your willingness. Your willingness. Are you willing 
might have I might have struck the chord or stricken a chord with every single person in this room. Um, and that's okay because you know what? When I was servant prepping this, I thought I was gonna die. So if you feel moderately called out, I'm sorry, me too. As a human, like taking off that pastor hat as a human, I feel you. Because sometimes, like I said, your own experience is valid. But sometimes we miss the point. And it's not a matter just of Belshazzar's tunnel vision, but it's his unwillingness to hear another person. He chose to wield his father's history as a method of power, something that Nebuchadnezzar dared not touch. He completely missed the point. Even when Daniel is telling him his perspective, man's is so caught up in his own what? Pride? Sure. Idolatry? Sure. No, but he's caught up in anxiety here. He's caught up in, and then that's like, like some, that's something that like everybody, you know, when, when you get anxious, it's, it's, and when you go through like issues with your mental health, with your well-being, like those things are completely valid, but they are not justifiable for not hearing another person. While Belshazzar's experience is understandable, It is also the difference between him, him and Neb. Because Neb repented. Neb heard God. Neb heard Daniel when Daniel talked. And he said, I see. God is greater. And when Neb failed to take Daniel's warning and God took him through seven years, of insanity, he came back and he said, I see you, God. I see you. Sometimes we get so caught up in what we can see and what we can touch and our feelings in the moment that we miss the greater picture. Partially out of short-sightedness, but partially out of our own willingness. Our own unwillingness to acknowledge another. I was willing to come to my own conclusions about my mother without ever hearing her say a word about that time. Isn't that crazy? Just because she and I lived in the same house, she did not explain her perspective to me at all. At all. I never got to hear her out and I saw her and assumed. It is that hard that on a spiritual level leads to missing God, on a professional level leads to prioritizing and zooming in on money to the point where you don't even know what you're using to get to that point. On a relational point, might lead you to completely be so fixated on your feelings that you miss the people you love. That, that is what we need to be careful of. How do we apply this? When I first heard of this, 
I thought it was arrogance. And I still stand by that to some extent. I can be pretty arrogant as well. Any one of us, I'm sure we've had our moment where our heads were bigger than our bodies. Like it happens, you know, we're human. But I actually don't think that this is just arrogance. Um, I wonder, I'm not sure what it is. I have to be honest with you and say, I'm not, I'm not really sure if this is just, if this can be oversimplified into something that is just arrogance. Because there are sometimes reasonable, understandable reasons for why people get caught up in their perspective that they miss the point. Self-defense, coping, there's a reason why we project. Comfort, I'm not really sure if it's just arrogance, but it is a flaw. A flaw that God covered on the cross. I talked a little bit about shame last week. That God took our sin and our shame. Right now, maybe some of you guys are checked out and you might not see anything that you might be able to relate to. Maybe some of us, we do relate. We can think of a moment where inadvertently, intentionally or unintentionally, we've silenced another person. I'm not saying to lower, like, how do I say this? Sometimes self-defense is valid. Sometimes there is a need to protect yourself. A lot of the times, protection is very important, right? But sometimes that very, that very unwillingness might lead to the thing you fear the most. And that, my friends, is not losing your loved ones. It's not failing. It's judgment from God. Because this, why I like the Old Testament, without the Old Testament, God's grace is life. But for something that all of us might have a smidge of in our hearts, Belshazzar pays the price by death. For a human being, for one small human being to prioritize themselves over everybody else in the room, that is grievous. More grievous than outward pompousness, cursing, even conflict. Because it can go unchecked. Because your feelings are valid. And your experience is valid. And in the midst of your affirmation, you miss it. You miss God. You miss the reality of what God says in his word. You don't take him into consideration in your decisions. You don't take him into consideration in your decisions, your family's decisions, the decisions you make for your children, the decisions you make in all the significant relationships in your life. You miss God. It goes unchecked. And yet, that is the gravity of what Christ has paid for on the cross for you. 
yours and the ways that other people's blindedness have hurt you. Your sin, your shame. All of them. The price of your sin. The price of the shame of realizing that sin. All of it has been paid on the cross. There is no gold and silver goblet. You are the precious one. Not an object, but you. Your heart that might be so blinded by your experience right now that you might not be able to see how God is with you. Your heart that is so blinded by your own experience that you might not see the ways that you don't prioritize God. Your heart that is so blinded by the things that you are holding on to that you might not be able to have room to see other people. Your heart, that heart, that price, that is what Christ paid for on the cross. We have been changed to open our eyes and see each other because of the kind mercy and forgiveness of God. But that is not a one-time thing. That's ongoing. Because we are Nebuchadnezzar and we are Belshazzar. But God calls us to be Daniel. God calls us to be the salt of light. God calls us, even though we are limited, even though we are imperfect, God calls us to acknowledge him, to submit to him. Last but not least, oh, not last but not least, also not all suffering is punishment for your sin. I'm not saying that what you are going through is punishment for your sin. God is a God of mercy. He's a God of fairness. What has been caused will reap the, ref the effects of what you have sown. But he is not a God of punishment. That punitive aspect of your actions have been paid for. But in the midst of Daniel's obedience, we must remember that Daniel is not the judge. God is the judge. Daniel is God's. Just as much as Belshazzar is God's and Nebuchadnezzar is God's. We cannot use scripture to judge another person. There are so many different expressions of identity that exists today. So many things that the church chooses to invalidate. We have entire laws that are built on the basis of scripture. Something that I might pursue, when I pursue further study, one thing that I'm gonna study is the Christian element of citizenship and how voting rights are tied to the church when it shouldn't be that way. You are not God. Reading the Bible does not all of a sudden make you God. You cannot judge the actions and the heart of another person. We are gods. We communicate what God has said. It is not our power. It's 
for me to even judge Noah, sorry Noah, or Grace. I cannot assume, just Grace and I are tight, but I will not assume her. I will not assume her experience. I will not judge her from what I can see. Partially because I should not, partially because I need to not have that just the tunnel vision of what I experience. Grace has her own, but also because Grace is God's and that is not my place. Beware, all of these things come from the same point of the heart. That same hardness, that same unwillingness to see past yourself, that is the impetus of a lot of sin. And yet, God's mercy covers you. He is paid for every moment that you have done it so far, for every moment that you will do it in the future. He has paid the price. So be free to be Daniel. Yeah, sure, maybe your life has not always been Daniel. Maybe you've messed up. Maybe right now you're unwilling. And Jesus has paid for you right now. Can we take this moment to pray?
We hope you were blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.